The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Coming up, the latest on the Kansas City Royals from our team here at KCSN. All of our Royals content is brought to you by KC Strength and Conditioning, experts in baseball and softball training for kids ages 8 to 18. If you're in need, you're in luck. John and his crew have sent hundreds of players to college and the pros. That's KC Strength and Conditioning. And now, it's time for the latest updates on your Kansas City Royals. What's up, y'all? This is One Royal Way here on Kansas City Sports Network. I'm Joel Benfield. Jordan Foote and Josh Geiser joining me as always. Gentlemen, baseball season is in full swing. I know the Royals have not necessarily played well to this point, but it's nice to have baseball on my TV screen from, you know, about 6 o'clock until about midnight. Actually, not even that now because of the, the pace of play. It's about yeah. 11, tight, like 11, 11.30, and yeah. I'm good by, after the West Coast games are done. It's been, I was talking about that with my brother this week. Is like, I usually put the kids to bed. I come down, the Royals are in the sixth inning. I can watch the last three innings or so and then catch any West Coast games. No, no, not anymore. We're in the eighth inning, uh, most Royals games that uh, at, at around this time of night. And then the West Coast is, you know, still there, but not till like 1030. So it's not nearly as uh, long into the night, which is quite honestly fine, perfectly fine with me. Yeah. Which one of you was it that made the comment about beer? Was that you, Joel? Calls me. No, so I noticed this, like, I know, like, I know how to time out the couple of beers I have during the game to where I can have a couple and drink some water and, you know, eat some food and I'm good to drive home. I'm not getting, yeah. you know, blitzed. But it was like the fifth inning when I normally get like my last beer of the game. And I know that'll last me like an I got like a good hour and a half, maybe two hours. It got into the eighth inning. I was like halfway through this thing. I was like, holy crap, I got to get home. What the hell's going on? But I, I. I will say, being at the game, have you all been able to get out to the yard yet? Mm-hmm. No. I was just there for the MUKU game. Right. Okay. Oh, nice. okay. okay. Very cool. But I, I loved the pace of play. I, I think yeah. it was it was great. And I was worried it was going to be, like, jarring and too fast. And, like, I've talked about fast for being the sake of being fast. And it didn't feel that way at all. It felt very natural, very fluid. There were no pitch clock violations in the game that I went to. Everything, you know, tight, about two and a half hours. And the game was over. Now, not every game is going to be that way, but the fact that, you know, over the course of a full weekend, the average game was like two hours and 40 minutes, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. I think it was a great use, and I don't never want to say anything good about the guy, but Rob Manford did right by this. Like, this mm-hmm. is something that he has done that actually um, has been very good, and then, of course, he made an ass of himself with some comments about analytics, but, you know, take the good with the bad with that guy. Yep. Uh, but it, it's been really fun to watch the the first weekend of the season, seeing all the new rules implemented, and for the most part, everything seems to be a success. So all the credit in the world to Major League Baseball and the players for adjusting very quickly. Well, unless you're Manny Machado and you get tossed after a pitch clock violation like he did today. They're well, that was also kind of up show because we're all there to watch Ron Culpa, obviously, and mm-hmm. Machado called for time prior to the violation, and he still tossed him. So. Mm-hmm. The uh, the broadcast tonight on the Royals game made it brought up a good point that Machado was the first uh, pitch clock violation in spring break or in spring training as well. Yeah, he he admitted. And he I made laughing a about this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he, you did. You you checked well, that box. But then he didn't like it and got got tossed. But also, yeah. Ron Culpa loves himself some Ron Culpa. So mm-hmm. there's there's that. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Before we dive into all the Royal stuff, I just want to say this before we use the same cliche and caveats over and over again. Everything that we talk about tonight, every stat we bring up, we all 
understand it is a small sample size and it's early. So let's try to do our best to not bring that up every single time that we bring up something. Uh, I think it's very, I think it's inherently understood that it is early and this is a small sample size. However, here we go. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, great. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be a problem when we, uh, we, we clip this for social media and it's taking oh my completely gosh. out of context. Oh, totally. Yeah. Cause yeah, Twitter's going <laughs> to take an all out of context. Like, oh yeah. And rational conclusions. Uh, <laughs> the show is always brought to you by Kansas city strength and conditioning. Be sure to check them out. If you have a baseball or softball player in the area that needs a place to train day one supporter of this show, we can't thank them enough for that. So we're going to talk about just some kind of macro, either macro, micro, just some, you know, takes overall through the first five to six games of the season. As we're recording, it's in the ninth inning. I don't think the game has gone final, so the Royals lost tonight uh, five or four to one, so they fall to uh, one and five or one and four. One and one, one, my apologies. So not obviously an amazing start, but there's still some been some things that at least look encouraging, and obviously there's some things that we need to monitor moving forward. So we are going to play a little game of, kind of taking from the Rich Eisen show of overreaction Monday. So we're going to make some statements and then say, is this an overreaction or are we just, or is this something to monitor? Simple concept. But we talked a little bit about the season at large across Major League Baseball, but Josh, we'll start with you. Has there been anything overarching that you've seen from the Royals, uh, just from what you've seen, you know, any takes you may have over the first couple of days? I think the number one thing that I kept seeing was this offense stinks. Um, and coming off another game where they score less than two runs, uh, it's the third game of the season where they've had one or less uh, to show for the offense. So uh, plenty of hot takeage out on the social medias um, about how bad this offense is. And it is not fun to lose games two to nothing or one to four or whatever. Uh, and that will absolutely spark some outrage. But uh, I, I tweeted about it today that, going into the game tonight and all the games are kind of excluded from this, but the Royals were first in hard hit percentage of 56.3. They had the highest uh, uh, average exit velocity at 91.8 as a team. Their BABIP was 226, which is the third lowest BABIP in the major leagues. Um, and then they are still walking at 11% clip. So that's all very promising still. Um, I don't think those are indicators of a bad offense. Um, I will say that I went through all of the, the batted balls that Stadkin mm -hmm. had to offer. And of all the batted balls, they're about right in the middle as far as batted balls that had an expected batting average of over 50%. So if they hit the ball hard enough at the right angle, uh, usually they have an expected batting average. And if it's more likely to have been a hit, or should have been a hit, quote-unquote, then uh, I counted it, and they're, they're just about the middle of the pack. Um, I wanted to say it was like 26.4%. Um, so that puts them right around the middle of the pack. Cardinals are leading league in OPS. There's a 30.6 of, of their batted ball events should be hits, and the Tigers have the worst OPS at 23.2. So the Royals right there in the middle between the worst and the best OPS in the majors. So I don't think we can complain too much about this offense obviously it's bad to not score runs but i'm not hitting that panic button just yet i don't think there's any reason to i think we're seeing process and results not always match up mm. we saw that the first couple of games that, that in basically that entire series against minnesota like bobby and Vinny went back to back exit velocities over 108 hit the ball about 380 feet and they were flying yes. like you know they good process good swing bad result like and that's just kind of was and there was a graph I, I can't remember who posted it i'll try and find and give them credit but they showed basically looking at launch angle exit velocity mm -hmm. like yep. or hard hit rate and exit velocity and where teams match up and obviously in a graph like that you want to be in the top right because that means you're hitting the ball hard and it's you know you get the principle the royals were there and they were zero and three at the time so okay the right they have the right process the results will match up and then on Monday night, they got and scored nine runs and kind of blitzed the, the Blue Jays a little bit, got to Jose Barrios. Good, you ran into a, a not very good pitcher, so, you know, that helps. That's a slump buster. And then you say Kikuchi comes today and shoves for absolutely no reason. But it's going to ebb and flow, especially early in the season. A few guys didn't get a ton of at-bats in spring training due to the WBC. 
Some guys like Bobby are really behind the curve because they didn't play in the WBC hardly at all. So then I think that's, you know, there there's a certain element of that and guys getting adjusted. Oftentimes pitching has the upper hand early because you're facing a lot of the same guys or, you know, double A guys or something like that in spring training game. So we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I don't think there's any reason to panic about the offense right now. I think they're doing the right things. It's just a matter of the results matching what they're doing. And I think the fourth yeah. and walk rate, which... When was the last time we saw a Royals team not in the 20s in Walker? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it's not crazy. And I pulled from Fangraphs, so my like rankings might be a little bit like they're tracking every website's been a little bit a little different so far. Yeah. yeah, I had them heading into Tuesday's play, ninth in Walker, which still top 10, you know, either mm-hmm. way. They're 24th uh, most, or I guess least, whatever. The, the 24th. I flipped it, so I guess that's seventh most uh, in strikeout rate, twenty five point five percent. Yeah, they have been striking out quite a bit. Eighteenth yep. in isolated power, twenty eighth, like Josh mentioned, in BABIP. Um, fifth in hard contact percentage. More sides have said like one or three, so like still top five in that. And then yep. fifth least soft contact percentage. Like they're hitting the ball hard. They're making decent swing decisions. They're drawing walks. Like the strikeouts, I don't think they're going to be quite that bad all year um yeah. they could be i just don't think they're going to be i think that's going to continue to improve and we're going to talk about maybe a couple guys throughout the show that are, are kind of leading culprits in that rate at least a little bit um in the lineup but i think they're going to be fine like they nothing is completely alarming right now through not even a full week right into the season where like oh my gosh royals offense is screwed heading into the year Everyone was on the 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 train of well the Royals offense is going to be pretty decent the pitching is what you need to worry about now pitching not great not bad the offense everyone's like oh my gosh this offense sucks like heading into the year everyone was confident in this it's mm-hmm. been again and the the phrase that Joel told us not to mention I'm not going to say it directly um, but it's been a you know what in so many days yeah I. That's a great point. And it's not like the Royals are the only terrible offense right now. Like, the Mariners have not looked good outside of a couple of games. The Padres have, were bad early. They're starting to come around a little bit. You know, it, it takes time. for Like, not everyone is comes out of spring training just firing all cylinders. Like, the Rays are. Not many other teams are. Like, the Phillies look terrible. So, I, I don't know what to... I don't know what to believe with some of this. And that's why you got to let things play out and let the sample size grow a little bit then you can make some more legitimate assessments of it, but there is some some stuff to monitor. I, I'll, I'll give you one kind of alarming thing, and they brought it up on their broadcast, especially in those first three games, is the, they're, they're, they're hitting with runners in scoring position. That has been uh, ugly. Going into night, they were slash 194, 256, 361 with runners in scoring position. They have a 33.3% K rate and just a 5% walk rate with runners in scoring position. This was an issue last year, and and this has been it kind of floated around social media as well that especially the young guys and MJ Melendez actually talked about it last night to to Joel Goldberg uh, that they felt like they were pressing a little bit, especially as runners in scoring position. Now, I don't know. I obviously am sitting here with you gentlemen talking about baseball instead of coaching baseball. I don't know how you make hitters like hit with runners in scoring position they've been, probably been doing it their whole lives so uh, it, it's just a weird thing for for people to struggle with but it does make sense that if it's a young core a young offense a young lineup that that's an area where they would struggle it uh, regularly so uh, that is one of the alarming things that's that is a bit of a red flag um, to, to this offensive you know overall um, but at the same time like I do believe that that'll eventually uh, come back to the to the curve and rest of the mean a little bit. I think a lot of it is just going to be as they see more pitches. Just at the end of the day, like I, I would love to know early on in the season, like if you could look at the totality of major league baseball and what the runners and scoring position numbers look like. I'm not saying they're going to match the Royals and this is no way me trying to sunshine pump for like one, well, not even a sub 400 OPS against <laughs> with runners and scoring position. But I would be I would be curious, and maybe that's something if I get bored enough one day, I'll look up and see what I can find, uh, just for some perspective on it, I guess. I might be able to look that up, but we can move on. I'll check it out. So one thing that I noticed, and the, we're just kind of going right into our little overreaction segment, is people have been outraged on Twitter 
the last couple of days seeing the lineups that have been thrown out there by Mac Contrero and company, where they're giving Salvi a day off and Olivares a day off. Today, they give Vinny and pretty much all the lefties a day off because they're facing Kikuchi. And people were like just freaking out that they're not throwing the best nine out there every single time. And it's almost like they're trying to play the matchups like the way that analytically inclined teams do. This is not something that we are used to seeing as Royals fans. We are used to seeing the same nine out there pretty much every day, some shuffling here and there. But for the most part, it's the same guys. Uh, and the Royals are currently in a stretch of 12 consecutive games, essentially to begin season 13 games in, in 14 days. And we have seen the previous coaching staff try and chase every win, throw everybody out there right away, nine eggs every single day. Like We're not going to give too many days off to guys. It's April. Why do, why do you need it? But the, the Major League Baseball season is 162 games. It's a marathon, not a sprint. You have to be able to get guys off their feet before they, you know, allow these guys to get their legs underneath them and not run them into the ground early so that then by July, guys are exhausted, and that's when we've seen a lot of the losing streaks happen. So it's the Royals trying to put together a more measured analytical approach, play the matchups, load up a lineup against righties. Now, it didn't work tonight, but again, I think the process makes sense like i totally see the logic it's not like we're looking at this like what happened people were freaking out on monday that salvi and Oli get the day off and the royals go out and score nine runs at their best offense today <laughs> so and you saw it on tuesday yeah acutraro said and i quote if we had more righties we'd have them in there but we have every righty we have in there like it could have been yeah. even more lopsided would have done all right like the royals are clearly it's not like he is going up to, you know, the, the vaunted spreadsheet or really anything the, and say, let's say, give day, yeah, it's not like he's closing his eyes and he has a dartboard with like players' faces on it. He's like, well, I'm just going to close my eyes and throw it. And like, you're in left field today. You're batting nine hole. You're doing this. They have reasoning behind every move they're making. And if there's one thing they've made clear throughout the whole offseason, they're making informed decisions, and they're making informed decisions after they speak with people. They're collaborating on those decisions. It's not like Q's in his office sitting there making the light up, not talking to anybody, not getting input, not running it by anybody. If anything, like all this stuff, and I'm not I'm, I'm not telling people how to root for their favorite baseball team. I, I don't want to be that guy that tells people how to do yeah. their, their job or whatever. But like all the stuff people were talking about that they were excited for and like believed in before the season has gone to the wayside after four games, four three games, games two games that happened. Like, like give these guys the benefit of the doubt. It's been a bleeping week. Not even really. Um, it's, I just find it hard to believe and easy to believe at the same time. And like, maybe it's Twitter, like maybe in real life people aren't having these thoughts, but then again, like people escape their real life to go tweet about, that stuff and complain. So maybe my timeline just sucks. I don't know. I, I mean, it's been great to me the last couple of days. I'll say that. <laughs> the It's a fan base that is impatient and anxious for a winner. I, I understand. Sure. I totally that. get it. And, and I, I've had some great conversations with people online with, like with regard to these overreactions and uh, they're bringing up people like, you know, with regard to the lineup, like the Bob Boone days, the 95, 96, 97 seasons where he had, okay, in 1995, he had 127 different lineups. They went 70 and 74 in that year. In 96, he had 152 different batting orders, and they went 75 and 86. And then the final the half season of 97, he had 132 different lineups, and they went 36 and 46. That is incredible for a lot of reasons <laughs> and people are just so worried that that they tinker too much that Q is a little bit too dependent on the matchups so he's just and it comes off as not knowing what you're doing it's his first managerial job so I can understand some of these people being a little bit leery about so many changes so early but if you need to draw some kind of proof that we don't know what we're talking about or neither do the people on social media when it compares to what Q in that front office knows, it's the fact that the most like uproarious we all are were about a lineup scored nine runs. So it only, I mean, every time they changed it, it seemed like something improved. So, and that was 
uh, barring that was excluding tonight. Obviously, it didn't work out tonight. But I'm just saying, like, they know what they're doing. They know better than you. They have way more way more information than we have, and we pay a whole lot of attention to that information. So uh, just give them time. It'll be fine. We'll be good. It'll be good. If I had to guess, I don't think Bob Boone was using some of the t- like. I don't even think he would even gone near the data to try and make those lineups. I no wonder how much. So that's I think that's the point. Is like I I understand the well we've seen this before, but we haven't. And I think mm-hmm. that's the thing that Royals fans are not used to. We have not had in, you know, the last ever, really, of Royals baseball, a manager that is this analytically inclined, willing to use the data, willing to listen and collaborate and make all this happen to use all the right numbers. And I'm not saying Mike Matheny didn't, but I don't think he was using it to the extent that we're seeing Quatrero use it. So it it's just a different thing for as fans to see as a, you know, even for like for casual fans to see that lineup and go, what are we doing? Why are, why are we, why is Vinny out of the lineup? Why are we giving Dozier, why is Dozier in the lineup again? Why is this happening? There's reason for it. There is method to the madness. There is. And Quatrero is too measured in the way he handles everything for me to think that he's doing the wrong thing. I don't think he's in over his head. I think he's making the right decisions, making informed decisions. Mm-hmm. And again, the process will meet the results at some point, but they've laid down the foundation for a solid process in this. How have we already gotten, like, I mean, we've said it four or five games into the season, and we're already, like, questioning the manager about Platoche. I had, I saw, I saw a tweet on Sunday that said, I don't think Quatrero was the guy, and I wanted to jump off my balcony. I'm like, <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> you can, and, and that's just, that goes the other way, too. Yeah. We don't automatically assume he's going to be successful no. uh, a he's the manager of the royals and we never expect good things to happen to us as managerial positions it happens but we don't expect it by any means so it's okay to not not be completely sold on Hugh as the manager but it also you have to just let it sit for a little bit just gotta just gotta chill do we need to take a break to let Joel decompress a little bit? Joel, do you want that? break before I drop an F-bomb here and cause some FCC violations. We'll be right back. A sports network for today's fan. KC Sports Network. Podcasts, YouTube, social media, live shows. KCSN. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. 
Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. And we're back. So next overreaction that we saw, and we 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 did we crowdsourced some of this from some of the social media stuff. So thank you to everybody that is this enthused or uh, enraged by the Royals at this point. We we thank you for the the help here. But I saw a lot of people freaking out that Brady Singer was the fourth starter. Uh, that Brady Singer is the the fourth starter on the staff. He he wasn't guys. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't ramped up enough because he didn't be pitched one outing in the WBC. And I'm not blaming the WBC for Bobby or for uh, Brady. Like, it's a great opportunity for them to go and represent their country, to learn from all those guys. Like, that's an experience that I'm sure they don't regret in the slightest. Uh, But it did put them behind the the curve just a hair. And so Brady Singer needed that last game of the the exhibitions and spring training in Texas through five innings. So the natural uh, rotation of the staff, the, the normal rest days, happened to fall on Monday, and that's why he got the start as the fourth guy after Grinky, Jordan Lyles, and Brad Kelly. Brady Singer's the one on this staff. And I I saw that uh can someone I'll look up the tweet just in, to read the stat, but I'll say this. It is nice to have a win day guy. Every every pitching staff needs one. And the Royals for a long time, really since 15, haven't had a win day guy. Like someone that you know when they are starting the Royals are going to go out there, and if they don't win, it's gonna they're going to give their best fight, and their pitcher is going to allow them the best chance to win, and that's what Brady Singer did. He wasn't spectacular, he wasn't he wasn't sharp quite yet, had his moments, but his mentality, the way he throws, he's going to be just fine this year. I think he's going to be really really good, and it's nice that at least once every fifth day we know. All right, the Royals are probably going to win today. It's a pretty good feeling to have. It's one we haven't had in a while. Uh, you might have, Josh Bernier had a tweet, uh, that might be the one you're talking about, but I thought it was of interest. It was 20 of Brady Singer's last 25 starts and I'm following a Royals loss. In those games, he's now 9-4 and four with a 2.94 ERA. That's fun. And that's, really that's fun. exactly what an ace is. That, I mean, it stops the bleeding. It's tough. Um, I... I meant tough as in how the kids say it. Not like it's tough that Brady Singer is pitching for the Kansas City Royals. He is tough. T-U-F-F. It it is tough that he can go out there on a a not very good team. I mean, just to to be honest about it over the past couple years or so. um, And pitch good baseball. And, you know, regardless of his win-loss record, like he is impacting winning baseball for the team, whether it shows up in their final season total or not. Like the wins above replacement show up, his raw numbers show up, the advanced numbers show up. People coming into the season knew Brady Singer was that guy. Like Zach Greinke was coming back, sure. Jordan Lyles was there. They signed Ryan Yarborough. Brad Keller could be back on the rotation. Daniel Lynch, people expected to step up. Like I'm not overreacting to Brady Singer like quote-unquote hitting the proverbial wall because he wasn't built up enough like and went to the WBC a little bit. It's early in the season. He still looked good for almost the entirety of that start. He's going to look good for probably almost the entirety of this season. Now, the the thing with him, can he elevate to great or can he sustain great? Now, we won't know that answer until August through September. Early on, the number four starter, like the order in which you start to begin the year. I, I honestly don't think it makes a big difference. I didn't view Brady Singer any differently because he wasn't the opening day starter. Now, if this is the case again next year and he's still not, maybe you, you look at things differently, but I think it's a non-story. Um, I don't really have too much more to add to that. Yep. And he's my, the good news is he's the same pitcher. Exactly. Yeah. He wasn't ramped up. He did. I think the movement was the same. The velo was the same. The pitch usage was the same. Somehow, uh, we saw his changeup a lot in the. He used it in the WBC. There was a Statcast game in spring training where he was using his changeup, clearly working on it, um, and he still didn't use it. So it still feels like there's an ace up his sleeve that he's going to throw at maybe the third time through the order this next time if he gets to that point. But he's still the same Brady Singer he was last year when he was very good. So yeah. we. Don't have to freak out that he was the number four guy, number two guy, the number five guy. It doesn't matter. Brady Singer is Brady Singer. He's going to be the anchor in this bullpen, or this rotation. The thing that impresses me the most about Brady Singer is his maturation throughout. That's been, I think that's been one of the coolest things yeah. to see. He, 
He's mostly sinker slider, still working on the changeup. I think that Sweeney and Bove are going to really get that going for him. And once he can get that thing unlocked, we we might see uh, him take another step. But the Brady Singer of 2021 is gone. Mm-hmm. You watch that start against the Blue Jays, and you can see because we saw it enough in that year. And a little bit at the beginning of last season. A ball gets misplayed and right. A ball ble- bleeds in when he makes a good pitch. Hard double, a walk. Everything melts down. And he mm-hmm. it gets blown up and blasted and is out of the game in three and two-thirds. Eat and eat and misplays a ball and right. No problem. Double play, get out of the inning. Like, no no problem. Yeah. You know, a double, a walk, a, hard, you know, a soft hit ball, gets double play, gets out of the inning. That's the kind of stuff to me that says the most about Brady Singer's like elevation as a pitcher, not just his, you know, adjusting as a pitcher to the big league level, but the mental side and getting it figured out between the ears for him is massive. And I I couldn't be more impressed by that aspect of it. Yep. I think one of my and just one more note, um, is it's pretty fun as well to have a pitching coach go out for a mound visit. And then immediately there's a double ball. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Or just not in play runs. That yes. doesn't even and have to be a double play. It's pretty nice. Gosh, like, every we, time, we, man. We and it wasn't it. every time, but like it felt like every time. It felt like yeah. every time. Um, I'd love to know what the actual stat was for how many mm-hmm. times that happened last year. But multiple times we've seen Brian Sweeney go out for a mound visit. Gets out of the inning right away. Or the next batter's out. Or, you know, soft hit ball, okay, double play. Or strikeout, whatever it is. That is comforting as a fan to see the pitching coach walk out there and I don't hang my he runs. He runs yeah. out there like a nice full little of energy. Nice little yeah. jog. I respect it. Yeah. But there, there's a lot to like there with that one. So now we got a couple possible overreactions and what well, we can kind of pair these together with the diminished velocity from Dylan Coleman and Scott Barlow so far this season. If you haven't watched the games a ton, uh, and I was at the game on opening day, and I noticed it. Dylan Coleman last year is like, you could pretty much pencil him in for 96 to 99, touching 100 every once in a while when he was really amped up. I didn't see him over 96. He was like 95, 93. Now, the, he does have the really good sweeper slider, so he's still been able to be relatively effective. He's still kind of wild right now. But he threw yesterday, and it was like 91. I'll be honest, I am kind of worried about this. Like, I don't think it's an overreaction to be concerned. I don't think this is a him trying to ramp up so that he doesn't blow out his arm early. I'm worried that this could be an injury. I'm not trying to speculate. But when you see that significant of a drop in velo, especially early in the season, it's something to keep an eye on. I agree. And I I think the... Not only the velo on the fastball is down, there was also a drop in velo in the sweeper. Um, the slider movement is flattening out a little bit too much. Um, so that in in and of itself is not great. Um, he also is having control issues. And all of that was still creeping up in spring training. He's mm-hmm. hittable now more so than he ever was. He was hittable in spring training. Um his spring training stats was eight innings pitched, five earned, 11 hits, nine walks, 13 strikeouts with a 2-5 whip. Opponent average was a 324. That can't happen. That is okay. alarming. Not good. A 93.3% zone contact rating right now for him. So he is hittable right now. Um, it is a concern for sure. I think the sweeper adds a little bit more. You know, it's it's kind of the good with the bad. The sweeper is sharper. Yeah, the The... So I think it's the slider. Uh, the slider itself is uh, uh, actually increase in velocity. So he's kind of distinguishing those two pretty well. And I'm kind of excited about that. But it is kind of alarming both the pro- lack of productivity, the, the fact that he's super hittable right now, and the lack in velo is a little bit concerning for sure. Do you think, and this is me just 150% just asking, and, and we don't even know the answer, we might not ever know the answer, could he have been working on that stuff knowing that he just didn't have that velo right. anymore? And, and it's yeah. weird to say because obviously, again, like I'm going to say it again, pure speculation there. He's also not old. Like he's not hashtag right. old even for a reliever. But like it's 
it's just weird. And again, I am actually going to say it, it is a small sample size to begin the year. However, that is alarming because like Joel, I believe said last year's was down from the year before by like a couple miles per hour or at least mm-hmm. one and a half or whatever it was. So it, it, there has been a decline. If I knew personally that I was losing a little bit of my fastball, I'd start fine tuning. Zach Greinke's a good example. I'm like Scott Barlow's not turning into Zach Greinke or anything. Or yeah, exactly. It could be totally something completely different. But like that was something that, as you were explaining it, Josh, just just crossed my mind. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. And it also good to keep in mind that yes, it's a small sample size. He pitched three of the first four games so three out of the first five days he was in action so that's not nothing but you would you would expect him to be fresh at the end of the year so sure i don't know hopefully we see a velo increase because if he stays around 93 that's not gonna be he doesn't no. spin the ball well enough to be able to sit at 93 he, he spins it fine it's not it's not like he's uh it's like jackson Kowar or something like that but it's mm-hmm. it's not not something you want to see so then when you go to scott barlow he was only thrown in one game but the velo was like 91. I think average velo was 91 miles an hour. 91.2. Yep, 91.2. Yep. Now, that's only on four pitches, but again, not spectacular. Average fastball last year was 93.6. So just for the sake of conversation, we'll call it 94. So it's down about three miles an hour. But if I recall from last year, I'll need to go back and, and do some game logs. He was about 90 to 91 at the beginning of the year and then ramped up to that 93, 94 that is more effective. So I think this is a little bit more of a veteran thing of, mm. I know how good my slider is and I can get away with throwing it eight bajillion times before I need to throw my fastball and let the, let myself get a little more comfortable and ramp up. Cause he was good in spring, looked really nice. Uh, even with diminished velocity, but he's a, he max velo is like 96. So it's not like we're down a ton. I would expect as the weather gets a little bit warmer, he gets back up to 92, 93, which I think is really solid. He's not relying on his fastball a ton. He throws a slider way more than any other pitch. He threw his, just for example, through 534 sliders. He threw 373 curveballs, only 288 fastballs last year. So he's not relying on it. Obviously, you want to throw it harder, but I, I would be. I think I'll be more concerned if he relied on the fastball more in his arsenal. But at this point, I'm not too worried about it. Yep. And the the fastball is not like you like you were saying, Joe. It's not a great pitch. It's not a great fastball. What he was doing those four pitches he threw the other day are is a very unique shape pitch. There are really no comparisons in the major league from 2022, and that could be either a good thing because it's a very unique pitch that the batters aren't going to see very often. Or it's a bad thing because there's a reason why they're not major league pitchers with that fastball shape. Uh, right. So that's that's a bit alarming in that way. But I think there's it could absolutely kind of be spun the right the right way, uh, pun intended. But the other interesting thing I noticed about his uh, his fastball was that his extension was up. Uh, according to Statcast, it was up almost a full inch. Um, which for for anybody who doesn't realize the the benefit extension just leads to more deception uh, is the theory. So if somebody is getting good extension, that gives the batter less time to react and read the pitch. Um, mm-hmm. And if he's still on a bad fastball, then extension better be pretty high on that because uh, he's going to need all the help he can get on, on messing with hitters and their timing and everything like that. An extra so, inch makes a, a big difference. God, yeah. I almost just completed the most sus sentence in the history of one world wave. Do it. <laughs> Do it. The extra inch makes a big difference, guys, yeah. uh, for extension. So there, there's we're not uh, doing phrasing, pitching lesson. Uh, so the morning, afternoon, evening, whenever the hell that that's our nugget for whoever's yep. listening. They will, that will tweet Bayou Billy Butler. Bayou Billy Butler, uh, really, really good account. He will tweet that out probably and say hey, 100, 100%. Um, that that stuck out. Yep. We the, we got more. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. There is one real quick. There is one kind of red blurred flag to me was that he did miss the zone on 11 out of his 13 pitches the other day so i think that that's also going to be part of ramping up he's going to have to tighten that a little bit as well yeah um because he can't miss the zone that many times can't do it we got a couple more overreactions to look at and then we'll talk a little bit of minor league baseball right after this a sports network for today's fan kc sports network 
podcasts, YouTube, social media, live shows, KCSN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Entertain, educate, inform. KC Sports Network. All right, next one to look at. We got one more hitter, one more pitcher to look at. And is it an overreaction at this point to say that Nate Eaton's played himself back uh, up by up by twenty nine? Um. So heading into Tuesday, he had made one noticeable miscue out in the field, and then he made another one during Tuesday's game. Heading into Tuesday's game, he had four strikeouts and seven plate appearances. Um, On Tuesday, he struck out two more times. So uh, for a guy that struck out 25% of the time last season, and I think it was like just over 120-ish plate appearances, if I remember correctly, so it wasn't anything crazy, but still a pretty good sample size. I'm using that that phrase again. Um, It's... For a guy that's supposed to be this versatile defender who's doing a really good job in multiple spots and is capable there and also going to give you some juice in the lineup and give you, you know, the the great arm strength and that little bit of a base stealing threat maybe, like, not looking great. Um, I think if this was the previous coaching staff, the leash would be, it's a catch-22 right? Because this coaching staff wants to give the young players chances and wants to give more spontaneous playing time and more extended chances if possible. But on the flip side, that also involves the other, it takes two to tango. For every Nate Eaton getting a spontaneous at-bat, there's going to be a Fran Mill Reyes in right field or a Hunter Dozier out there or an Edward Olivares or Kyle Isbell or Drew Waters once he gets back or Jackie Bradley Jr., if you move him into the infield, he can't play first base because you got too many cooks in the kitchen there. Third base, you've got Matt Duffy there. Like, it's can't put him behind the dish because you've got MJ Melendez and Salvador Perez, and it's a tough one. So, I, I don't think he is in a terrible spot, but I think like the line between bad and he's fine. Um, he is no longer teetering that. Like, I think Nate Eaton, even though it's only been a few days, he is quickly finding himself in a not-so-good spot. I will say he had a couple miscues in the field for sure. He's also made some great plays in the field as well. Yes. Uh, That first double for Buxton should have been an out, and that should have been like uh, Mm Gordo-esque type of throw out from that. It was an absolute laser to second base that Nicky just misplayed and missed the tag. Um, and then he had a heads-up play tonight uh, against Toronto that that got uh, got a force out at second on a bloop single. So um, it, the defense is still there. I still think there's plenty of value in his versatility, in his defense, and in his base running. I think that's all uber valuable to a lineup. Maybe not the Royals in the situation because we do know that Q is going to use the entire roster, and if he can't hit, that's going to be a problem. Um, so if his... I'll say this, if he's on the roster, he will still get plenty of plate appearances. But if he gets shipped down for a Nick Prado, for uh, a Michael Garcia, for a Drew Waters when he's back, um, Eaton's spot could easily be uh, be taken away from him and him sit back down. So I think there's a realistic chance that that could happen if he doesn't turn this around. Six of his last seven plate appearances have been strikeouts. And they've yeah. been... They've looked really bad. It's not like he's he taking looks, a bunch of pitches and gets the fringe. He looks bad, lost. He, he looks legitimately lost at the plate. I think mm-hmm. it's a reset sort of thing. Like, yeah. I'm not, this is not me closing the book on Nate Eaton as a member of the Kansas City Royals. I still think he has great value as a Agreed. 
another Nicky Lopez type bench, throw him anywhere three times a week and and make it work. But right now, he it's just not there. And I think he earned that spot out of spring training to be on the opening day roster. This is not me trying to revisionist history saying it was a mistake by the Royals. It was not. But it's just time. I, I, I hate to pull the plug that early. It would not shock me if in six weeks he's, you know, if they decide after the end of the week, it would not shock me if six weeks later he's back in Kansas City and balling out. Maybe he just needs to go up to AAA, hit a couple home runs, have a digney session in the in the video room, watch himself hitting homers, and get right back to being the awesome Nadine that we have come to love over the last couple of seasons. It also doesn't help that Michael Garcia, before his home run tonight, had 164 way to runs created plus in AAA. And Nick Prado was starting to hit the ball really well after, you know, things struck out a couple of times in his first game, but it was looking really good. And then Drew Waters is on the men coming back as well. So there are people coming for his spot. So there's, it's not like the Royals have to keep him there because there's not reinforcements. There certainly are that are deserving to be on the big league roster. And it wouldn't shock me if that decision was made here probably after the Toronto series. Yeah. I, I mean, it could, could happen that quickly or. It could it could have a longer leash, like you said, with the younger players thing, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, if, if they decide to keep him up and rock with him because they believe in him, then I'm not going to try and question Contrero and company because obviously they see something every single day that we we don't. We just see right. the the four at bats every single day. We don't we don't see all the work behind the scenes and stuff that they they talk about in meetings. Mm-hmm. Last one here is Brad Keller's curveball like a complete game changer for him. Uh, technically yes because and i you guys know where i'm going with this um with the the blank blank old blank um it, it's been one start correct and it, the stuff plus is the 12th ranked curveball in all of baseball for for starting pitchers or it might just be pitchers in general it's 130 on the slider like that duo has been really good by their measurements um, you look at the box score, and it's a little weird. Like four and two thirds, he gave up five hits, whatever. Four walks, six strikeouts. Like okay, that's fine. Um, but he threw the curveball twenty-two times, which was the most of that guess. Yes, and it, he had a fifty percent whiff rate on it, and then he threw the slider nineteen times and allowed a one sixty-seven batting average. Like neither one of those are going to like hold for the whole season. I, I don't think. However. If the curveball's just a solid pitch, it doesn't even have to be good. It doesn't even have to be great. Like it's kind of the uh, Brady Singer conversation to a lesser degree. It's like if that pitch is just being thrown and being trusted, and like you can't say he's not using it, he's not trusting it. He threw it more than anything else in his very first start of the biggest season of his career. So like, I don't know what else. Uh, people would ask him to do besides get better results. And like, if he keeps pitching like that with that offering, then the results are going to go up. So I, I guess my short answer is no, technically yes right now, but like give me two months worth of starts before I'm like totally like this guy is legit. I love the fact that he was so confident to throw it right away. Sure. And we had a previous regime that did not want guys throwing new pitches in Mm -hmm. games or did not want them to throw it early, and he goes out and starts throwing it right away and throws it the most of any pitch he threw, pitch type he threw in that game. And I don't, like, I know the line is not great, but I don't think, like, I don't want people to lose sight of the fact he looked really good there for about four innings. And then it kind of it kind of fell apart on him. I think it's not, it's not me saying that he needs to get out of the rotation, but it was very encouraging that he was willing to throw that pitch that often. And if you look, like, the heat map looks a little funky just because it's one game. But there's a very clear plan. Curveball below the zone, slider down and away, fastball's up. And then the occasional sinker into righties. Like, there is a plan for those four pitches. We're going to hit all four quadrants, and let's get outs. And strikeout six and four and two-thirds uh, for a guy that's not predominantly a strikeout pitcher, That's that's pretty nice to see. I am ready to overreact. I am so in on Brad Keller. I am so in on this being a game changer. Not only the curveball, but the fact that he now has a sweeper and a slider to go into. That is true, yeah, the sweeper. Yeah, three breaking balls that he has confidence in. 
along with his whatever his fastball is, it could be a lot of different things, and they could actually tweak that a bit to make it kind of uh, uh, optimal as possible. But changeup not really used. It was used one time in that start, but uh, but he's got five pitches, six pitches, six pitches right now is where we are. To or, yeah, to, we threw one changeup, so I guess right. We can call it. It's still there. I mean, it's a show yeah. me pitch, even if it is, but. Uh, six pitches compared to four pitches is a career maker. As long as all of them, if there's five of them that are average and one that's pretty meh, like this changeup, then that could absolutely turn a career around. And if if I'm overreacting this positively to Brad Keller right now, I'm going the exact opposite of this is the biggest black eye of the pitching coordination in the major league level last year, because if Brad Keller has is has this ability to add two, three pitches to his repertoire in one off season, and now he's if if my overreaction is anywhere close to being true, then they failed to unlock Brad Keller in five seasons that they had him, and it happens in a contract year where he can walk. That is the biggest black eye I think to that potential pitching development staff. If that is the case, if this is Brad Keller, if this is real Brad Keller with six viable pitches, then it's a big problem for where the, the it's not a big problem, but it really is a big red flag to where we are coming from. Well, and like he also turned in some decent production sometimes, like yeah. despite like First if that's that the year, case, right? like Brad Keller, Loki could have been shoving like I, mm. I don't know. And obviously there's a lot of context that goes into it and like i'm not gonna bash people for doing their job or not doing their job but like makes you wonder a little bit <laughs> it's like the, if this is possible over just a few months um and then going into the spring and like not having the org shy away from it be like hey let's yeah. do this let's encourage you like it's yeah it's uh it's got to be refreshing for him i mean mm -hmm. definitely right and, and another guy, where he wasn't on a rundown, but I just want to bring this up tonight because Chris Bubich pitched tonight. And again, yeah, yeah. not spectacular, but not bad either. Like, certainly yeah. a very encouraging thing. And just one thing I noticed, one, his spin rate on his fastball is almost up 200 RPMs. He threw an average was 23-33. Last year was 21-34. Okay. So he must have found something in the pitch design of the fastball. Uh, that's above, like, anything above, I think it's like 22-50 is above league average. So... That's nice to see. Yeah. And that slider that he was so excited to throw last year and then was told not to, uh, he threw it nine times tonight, got three whiffs, and the other two balls that were swung at were not put in play. They were foul balls. His changeup got eight whiffs on 21 thrown. He threw at 14 whiffs overall. That's and awesome. He, and now he's still throwing his fastball way too much. He threw it 35 times. I want to see him throw the the slider and like his breaking stuff more and let that work off the fastball. But if he's throwing his fastball with a little higher spin, it works. But hey, I like early on, thank you, Brian Sweeney. Thank you, Zach Bove, because we're figuring <laughs> stuff out about our pitching sap in a good way. I'm very excited for that. Yep. Any final thoughts on the big league club before we move on to the minor league really quick? It's going to be tough know. to reach 130 wins. But we're going to get there. Road to 130. Still on. Technically, it still can't happen. We're still, still in play. It's just the, the razor-thin margin at this point. Oh, yes. So I'm wearing <laughs> the, if you're watching on YouTube, which, hey, be sure to go subscribe. Leave comments, questions, whatever whatever you want us to talk about. Only only good ones, please. Only good stuff. <laughs> Leave hey, only good reviews, preferably. Well, only good reviews, but if you want to berate me in the comment section, that's fine. What It helps drive the algorithm, so that's cool. Um, whatever, hey, I am for whatever it takes. Like, I, I don't really care. That's a dangerous game, Prendo. Look, I've already told my I told my friends, my, my two best friends who are not, one of, a, one of whom is a Royals fan, one of whom is not. I said, if you subscribe to my YouTube channel for my podcast, you guys can berate me in the comment section whenever you want, and just, as long as you hit the like button, which you guys yep. should do as well if you're watching on YouTube. But if you're watching on YouTube, I am wearing a Rothos Arkansas hat, and so is Josh. Mm -hmm. The minor league season starts this week. I thought that they were running schedules similar to last year, where it was like they start on Tuesday, play through Sunday, off day Monday. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the case, because uh, everyone is starting on Thursday. Uh, Columbia, Quad Cities, and Rothos Arkansas uh, start on Thursday. 
And uh, obviously, Omaha started uh, last week, so they got a little bit of a weak head start. The rosters were posted uh, by the Royals' new minor league Twitter account run by the organization, not our, not our buddy uh, Alex over at Royals Farm, uh, at KC Royals PD. Be sure to check them out. They're dropping some good stats and videos, and they posted the rosters as well. My only comment that I think is interesting is, A, they left uh, Mazzucato and Caderna down in Colombia. I think they're going to be in quad cities by midseason. This is just slow playing it. Totally understand it. But speaking of quad cities, that team is going to be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Carter, Jen- Carter Jensen, Jack Pineda, Javier Vaz, Caden Wallace, Daryl Collins, Gavin Cross, River Town. That team is going to mash. <laughs> now, pitching, I don't know. However, because no, pitching in Columbia last year was kind of hit or miss. With Linda Avila was pretty solid last year. Noah Cameron, mm-hmm. Eric Sarantola, Chandler Champlain. You know, there, there's guys to like in there. I forgot about uh, Champlain. Yep. And when we get my, and then when Mazzucato and Kuderna get up there, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a really fun team to watch. If you watch one team this year, I think that would be the one to, to check out for sure. Yeah, 150%. I'm I'm still very interested in the Storm Chasers because they have so many like pretty important bats with you know firstly sure. yeah. Prado uh, Gentry's there. Um, I'm missing. I mean, uh, Samad Taylor is there. So I, I think there are a lot of reasons to pay attention to them as well. Obviously, we're, we're baseball nerds, so we're going to kind of keep tabs on all four of these teams, and that's not even including like the rookie level teams. So we'll probably be thrown in the mix as well. Uh, but it, it is. I like seeing, especially at the beginning of the year, how everybody is spread out because it kind of gives you a little bit of hint of what track they're on. And like you were talking about, it is mm-hmm. see those prep pitchers still in Columbia is both understandable but a little bit disappointing because they felt like they're at the end of the year, especially Mazzucato, seemed like he took a couple steps forward and he was you know making the case to be bumped up to Quad Cities. Uh, but I do definitely think that they'll both be, both him and Kuderna are both going to be there relatively soon. Um, especially if they start doing what we think that they can't do. So I'm excited to see uh, see them in general, but especially Quad Cities and Omaha for sure. There's a ton of pitchers at AA that are important as well. John Bolin, now full season removed from Tommy John, so I hope he can get back. Christian Chamberlain, funky, lefty. Stephen Cruz, who the Royals got in the yes. Taylor trade. Uh, Will Klein, Alec Marsh, Noel Murdoch, TJ Sigma, Anthony Veneziano, Beck Way. There's a lot of dudes, yeah. and the ghost of Ace Lacy is going to show up at some point. Um, he's still in Omaha, or still in uh, Surprise, I'm sorry. Extended spring uh, training. Yeah, yeah. Extended spring training, still ramping up. I have no expectation for him. Um, anything they get out of him at this point is, you know, we can hope. that I just don't – it's heading down the Kyle Zimmer path, and I don't want that to happen again to the Royals. Get drafting a, a super electric – pitcher that never get really gets there outside of a reliever role that was not even uh, the guy was a shell Kyle Zimmer was a shell of who he was as a, as in prospect I don't want Ace Lacy to be that same guy but hopefully he can stay healthy for even just a little bit of the season mm-hmm. gentlemen do we have any more thoughts on anything else before we get out of here any any final thoughts in general I'm good to go man personally we we talked before the pod about maybe cutting a nice 45 and it, we went a little bit over, but like for our standards, I think this was a very uh, fantastic episode. I, we covered a, a shit ton of ground, man. It was, it was good stuff. Josh, damn that 45 minute mark. I got tapes <laughs> about the school board voting and the Casey mayor and the, no, I'm not. All right. All right. Cut them off. Cut them off. We, we have to stay regulated and stay in the uh, good standing of, of people who may or may not work in those realms that, that may or may not listen to the podcast or the network. The, uh, my, my final thought, just as I, I get all the notifications for the Mariners as well, and I just want to point out that Teoscar Hernandez has never hit a cheap home run in his life. Dude, no. That guy exclusively hits the ball 450 feet. No. Mm-hmm. And if he does hit a ball opposite field that just goes over the wall, it's about 118 miles an hour and gets about 12 feet off the ground. Speaking of which, didn't uh, Reyes hit like a, a mammoth home? He hit the ball 450. Bullshit, that ball was 455 feet. That was 500 feet. Okay. I will hear no argument. He, he's that one that thing, does not get very many cheap home runs. He hit yep. the Miller Lite thing over the fire. <laughs> not many balls go out there. I've seen no. three guys hit balls out there. 
it's it's like Mike Trout, and I think mm. Mondesi went out there one time. I think mm. he hit it to the fouls. I don't even think he got it over the fouls. So Man, that was poor Mondesi. I know this isn't a, a Red Sox. Oh, I remember I last time I called him a Yankee. He's a Red Sox, damn it. But um, that's that sucks, man. I like I get that they're bringing him along slowly. Like we don't know the exact. We're we're not Red Sox beat reporters or you know following that team. But it it's unfortunate, man. Um, people are saying that they're not surprised, and like that's fine to flex, I guess, on Twitter that you predicted he wouldn't start the season on the roster but like Good for it you, also sucks because he's trying to play yeah well that's going to do it for this week on one royal way we will be back next week uh with hopefully some more w's to talk about we can sure hope right because hope's all we got talk to y'all next mm-hmm. week thank you for listening to kc sports network we appreciate your support don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.